Iron Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. listen to sermons like week to week? Like, do you have preachers that you listen to or do you listen to new guys from week to week? Is that a part of your listening schedule on a regular basis? Not, I don't listen to normally like sermon podcasts unless I might listen to yours um, every probably once or twice a month. Uh, I might listen to, if somebody preached for me, I'll listen to that one. But normally... I don't listen to a preaching podcast. I will listen to preachers on other podcasts that they do, but not necessarily uh, preaching sermons in particular. I feel like this is a good moment for me to offer an apology for making fun of you not reading books because, A, you do read books. You've got a seminary degree. You have to read some books to do that. But also you consume more audio than – you know, you're, you're like the Al Mohler of audio <laughs> download. Like, how do you listen to so – I think you listen to two podcasts in one in each ear at a time. Is that right? That's what I heard. It's just a rumor. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that at, at, <laughs> at three times the speed. If, you, if I read as much as you listen to, I could, I could probably read most of the internet pretty, pretty so. and you would not be any better off <laughs> <laughs> no that it is a pretty incredible thing i wish i had more ability to either read or listen at the rate you do but listening to preachers is a particular it's a particular challenge because we we had this balance between i'm supposed to be learning from him and i'm also supposed to be kind of judging him uh, discerning him might be a better way. Trying to figure out, is this actually the word? And I think our, we expect our members to do that of us every week and uh, not not just take our word for it, right? Yeah. And I know that we've listened to you – know, one of the reasons we brought up Piper last week is because I think this is a brother who just sticks so closely to the word uh, mm-hmm. week in, week out. And – there's pastors that we've listened to, we've discussed over the years, popular, some not so popular, who are just incredible expositors of God's Word. And and at times we've discussed sermons that we've just thought, this is a, a train wreck. This is, this is not what the Bible is saying. Uh, we had one such experience recently on the way back from, uh, from Nashville. And... It just kind of brings begs the question: How do you how do you know the difference? What, what's the difference between uh, a, a kind of a, a biblical sermon actually preaching the Bible and someone just using the Bible? Because there's a lot of both of those going around, and discerning the difference may not always be as as easy as you think. Um, you might not be able to tell. Sometimes it might be a little. You know, there's a lot of Bible in there, and so it can be hard to tell. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you, when you think about discerning the difference between a, a 
sermon that is preaching the Bible or even teaching, Sunday school teaching that's teaching the Bible and a message or a teaching that is using the Bible but isn't actually saying what the Bible is saying? What, what's, what's kind of the first thing that you're looking for or that you notice comes to your mind when you're trying to discern if this is a biblical teaching? Well, I think I think um, you you kind of said in setting this up that this is way harder than it might first appear, you know, on the surface. But that's not to say that there aren't some easy disqualifiers, like Im- immediately, mm-hmm. or maybe some easy red flags that are you know very clear and straightforward. For one, is a passage a particular passage opened up and camped in for the entire sermon. You know, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that that's like an easy one that you can see that not everyone does that um, is a, a kind of a litmus test of is, is this person actually preaching from the word or are they looking for support as they kind of hunt around for different verses taken out of context that that um, support what they're saying. That's definitely different, and 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 you know that's not always the case. I think for every sermon that even someone preaching from the Bible does. So you might you might mm-hmm. see you might come into a church on a Sunday where the pastor is you know preaching from the entire book of Jonah, or maybe from the entire you know book of Exodus, and kind of demonstrating the mm-hmm. the the overview of the text itself and in which case they're going to kind of skip around throughout Exodus. Um, I've known preachers that have preached 66 sermons in a row and they've been, you know, one from each book, just kind of giving an overview. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's all fine. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not teaching the Bible because they're not camped out on one passage. But what is the steady diet of the church? Is the steady diet of the church, is the regular uh, schedule, is it opening a passage, looking at the words that are on the page, and then explaining what those mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, another part of that, which is connected to it, is is the, is the preaching, the teaching, is it actually going through and explaining what the words mean? And not just in sort of a summary fashion, looking at a group of them together or, or the whole group of verses and saying, you know, it's kind of like this and then going off on on mm-hmm. their own little explanation, but actually digging into these words, what they mean and why they're situated in the place that they're situated in. I think those are some some really easy ones that, yeah. you know, are right there on the surface that you can immediately so, rule someone out or include. So, so. I'm in the I'm in the middle, or I guess I'm about to be on the end of preaching a, a topical series, which which is unusual for us. So as you said that, I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm really I'm really hoping you give us a caveat here because <laughs> because <laughs> I'm doing the exact thing that you're that you're talking about. Everyone so, who's from Nathan's church, just listen to me. <laughs> Get out so, while you can. No, I'm kidding. So <laughs> you. You mentioned, and so I, I am preaching a series called Rejoicing in Christ. It's every sermon is just narrowly Christological. I am intentionally taking groups of passages at a time and 
you know, kind of saying this is my passage that I'm starting in, but I'm also showing how this is true in various passages. What's what's the difference between kind of a faithful topical tech sermon where you, you are taking something that is addressed multiple places in Scripture, you're trying to see what the Bible says about that thing, and, and an unfaithful topical message? Is there anything that comes to your mind and what might help us distinguish more specifically that well, that difference well normally in a in a, something that's faithful in a faithful topical message you're um still camping out on a particular text mm-hmm. that there is a central driving text that's pointing to what you're saying mm-hmm. and it, it, it the this is where the subtleties and the nuance come in of identifying sound biblical preaching and not sound biblical preaching which mm-hmm. is is are they using the passage for support of their own opinion or are they or is the passage informing their opinion that's that's the pivotal question that we're after is mm-hmm. when it comes to a teacher is the 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 uh, the passage actually informing what their take on the Lord or, or whatever the subject matter is. And, and that's, that's obviously the, the barometer that you're going to be using for, you know, the value of a, even a topical sermon. So, you know, I think you're going through, um, the character of Christ, isn't it? Or I can't uh, remember what it's it called is. rejoicing in Christ. So I'm just picking several different aspects of Christ to focus on to wrap up yeah. the summer. So, when you when you think about something like that, you know, there's typically passages that you're going to camp out on on a particular Sunday that you're going to exposit before the the listener. But then you're also going to use those passages. Those passages are informing what you think about Jesus. And I think that's the biggest difference between um, between you know somebody who's just using the passage for support and somebody who's actually using the passage to inform and to mm-hmm. enlighten. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it's my one of my favorite um, quotes from, and I think it's a, a borrowed quote actually, but it, it careful, I originally <laughs> I originally encountered it in David Helms' uh, expositional preaching book, which is. Mm-hmm. Um, some preachers use the Bible like a drunk uses a lamppost more for support than illumination. And mm-hmm. that, I think that gets at the real distinction of what you're looking for. Are we, go, are we in this text for support or are we in this text for illumination? Does this text support our opinion or does it, is that merely why we're here and is that what's being explained or is this illuminating something that is true about Christ and that the Bible identifies as true? Yeah. Yeah, and I think too, the way I've thought about it too, tell me if you think this is helpful. I I think that the Bible gives us topics, if you will. There's a there's when there's a point in a text, that is the topic of the text, if you will. So in in one sense, I feel like all these three sermons that I'm preaching, I could preach it as I would preach it pretty much the same way if I were just walking through that passage. Um, because that's the point of that passage. But I think, in, in my case, Paul is saying some statements about Christ, making one, one theological point, doctrine, in multiple places in the New Testament. 
in his letters that all say the same thing, um, and and the the repetition is on purpose. It's not it's, you know it's not just an accident. So we can kind of pick up this doctrine. We can pick up this this thought pattern, and and af- actually reference it and give it attention, rather than just kind of saying you know I I word searched cross, I word searched walk, and found all the places where it talked about walking and my sermon is about walking today uh no the point of each of these passages is similar so they make one kind of singular doctrine a a teaching in and of itself so that's kind of how i've thought about it is the bible actually gives me the topic right i'm i would i would kind of be you know it, it would be my my fault if if i really studied the new testament as a whole and missed this topic, which is, uh, in in this in my case, as I'm preaching, uh, all through multiple letters in the New Testament, so it would be it would be kind of a fault to miss that 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 kind of topical preaching. Versus, I just came up with a random question. I'm going to go see what the Bible says and do my best to try to see what it says. Or worst, I just came up with a random question or a random thing I want to say and I want to talk about. And like you said, I'm just going to go lean on the Bible. And use it like a newspaper. I'm just going to kind of reference some sayings that support what I want to say. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of how I've thought about my my quote topical series. Is I would preach it the same if I were in it. And these are things that Paul repeats. Uh, so he's he's the one that has created the Bible has created this theme in itself. Yeah, and I th- I think um, you you've got uh, the onus i think all of this the premise of the foundation of every bit of this is all placed on the listener to be educated to be reading the bible themselves to be uh discerning of when the sound of the sermon or the sound of the teaching sounds more like the voice of the teacher than the voice of scripture. And what I mean by that is, um, does, is the person saying things that don't sound consistent with the rest of, of the text of scripture and sound very much like, you know, their own opinions and things like that. Um, I think those are, those are huge telling signs, but the reason that that's more difficult than you know, then maybe like some easy red flags that, that I've already, that we've already pointed to is because it, it requires the, the listener to be active in their own spiritual development and in their own biblical reading. And mm-hmm. so that they can discern that doesn't sound like something that the Bible says. Um, you know, that when you quote Jesus or when you cite Jesus or when you give the character description of Jesus, that, that doesn't sound consistent with even a first century Jew, you know? So you automatically know that, or at least there's, there's need for further investigation. Is this really true? Is this what the Bible is actually saying? Um, you know, and, and that, so that, but that takes education on the part of the of the listener. And I think yeah. the, the, the understanding of searching out, you know, or discerning between biblical teachers and, and people who are not teaching sound doctrine is putting an impetus on the, the listener. It's, it's, it's putting a mandate on them to be yeah. 
with it when they read the scriptures, like actually to be searching the scriptures on Monday through Saturday so that they can tell on Sunday. Yeah. What I thought of was that it's, it's strange if we're not careful, we actually become functionally pre-Reformation, pre-Gutenberg press, pre, we, we become that era where you just come and sit and whatever the pastor says must be true. Because he's got 10,000 people at his church, he's got a Bible, he's holding it up in his hand, and he's referring to it as God's Word, and he's saying that he believes it. So mm-hmm. it must it must be true. And right. what you said, I think, is so helpful that there. I do think it's important to say, I know my Bible well enough to maybe I don't disagree with him yet, but some some little alarm bell just went off and makes me go, that that ain't right. Something Something doesn't sound right. I at least know enough that I should go look. And it's kind of like, you know, l- learning an engine, learning your car engine. Like if uh, any any mechanic, the longer you're a mechanic, I think if you when you show up, forget what the people at the counter are telling you the sound that your car is making. Once you actually hear the sound that a broken down car is making, a mechanic who's been around cars long enough will be able to hear it and go, it's probably this. It's probably your alternator. It's probably your starter. It's probably your – I don't know what else makes noise in an engine. But, you know, they they hear it and they go, ah, it sounds like it might be this because you just know enough. You, you've been – you're familiar with it enough to, to, even, to even have a sense that something is is off. And, yeah. I, you know, some people may live their whole lives and their car's about to die and the engine's making all kinds of sounds and they don't even know that it's – they don't even know that it's wrong. They don't even know that their car's yeah. about to break down. When, so when we uh, that's helpful. When we started our Wednesday night study here, we started going through systematic theology. And one of the things that I find so beneficial about both systematic theology and biblical theology, um, but more so systematic theology, is we're literally going line by line in just a a kind of uh, well a systematic approach, I guess. But but a, a just a uh, going through the character of God, starting with how do we understand God? Let's start with the Bible. Can we trust the Bible? You know, then do we do we know uh, what does the Bible tell us about who God is? And then line by line of what does the Bible tell us about God? And so basically systematic theology is just categorizing all of those things that God says about himself and kind of putting them in, in front of the reader and just saying, here's what the Bible says God is. Um, here's what that means. Here's what that must mean because of all these other passages over here that kind of help define what that means. And so systematic theology can really help. And so we started going through um, Grudem's systematic theology, and I didn't do it necessarily in just like reading the book or anything like that, but just um, talking about the character of God and, and things like that. And so we get to the sufficiency of scripture and I tell them, look, the reason that I'm, I'm doing the uh, the this the Wednesday night this way is because my goal is to really set up for you um, booby traps in your mind <laughs> that uh, when when someone steps in those alarm bells start going off. So yeah. 
we're setting out who is God, what does the Bible define God as, what what do we think about Scripture, what do we believe about Scripture. So if somebody teaches something contrary to that, alarm bells start going off and you go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And so mm-hmm. everybody was in agreement with that. And as we taught the sufficiency of Scripture, everybody was nodding in agreement and saying, yes, 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 that's absolutely right, that's what we believe. And then I put up a screenshot or a, a little quote of uh, the original cover, uh, or I think it was the back cover, or maybe it was the inside cover, of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Mm-hmm. And it said... Wait, which um, in your mind is a, is a problem? A problem yeah, is a, is a huge problem. Yeah. And I, yeah. so I put up this quote, and it said, um, and I think this was, if I remember right, this was on the Sufficiency of Scripture lesson, but, but I, it said something to the effect, I'm not exact quote, but it's pretty close. It was, I know the Bible is God's word, but I always wanted something more. And I was like, I, I asked them, does that send off the alarm bells? I wanted something more. What do you mean you wanted something more than the word of God? That, that is troubling to me. That's a troubling way of saying it. And I don't know what you're getting at. But then she went on to advocate for listening, which is a pagan practice of where you just you basically just sit there and you kind of divine what the spirit is saying to you and you write it down. And so that's what Jesus calling and God calling and those that series of books, what it is, is Mm -hmm. a it's a it's a series of her basically doing exactly that. And, um, and so, you know, when I put that up, everybody was like, oh, wait a minute. I think I have a copy of that, you know, (laughs) because it's so common. It's probably sold at Lifeway for all I know. I got it for Christmas last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I'm, we're saying the sufficiency of scripture, but these are the alarm bells that it should be, it should be tripping. These are the ones that should be going off so that you immediately recognize, wait a second, something's not right here. Yeah. And you, and we're, so we're not talking just about preaching you're the preaching at your church every Sunday we're talking about everywhere you go uh anyone who would take on the name of the Lord anyone who would take on the name of Lifeway any, any anywhere you're going to get resources this is uh this is a, a, a challenge and and the problem is it it pops up in places we didn't think we would have to look for it so for example the Southern Baptist Convention um uh, preaching from I guess this isn't, isn't the same question, but plagiarism is a big question in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. But I know, for example, I, I just have assumed uh, a long time ago that any sermon inside the SBC would be a good sermon. And the same in my state convention. Uh, there's two state conventions here in Texas. Um, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, which we're now, now a part of, broke off from the BGCT uh, in the 90s, 25, six years ago. And it's the inheritist uh, convention, right? But sometimes I hear sermons from these guys. And I'm thinking this is not so great. Sometimes I hear sermons from my own, from my own self when I get done on Sunday afternoon, and I think I could have done, could have done better. There just really never is a time. There never is a place. There never is a sphere where we just kind of get to relax in a sense. Now, I would say to that that if you if you are in a church that's preaching through Scripture, that believes the Bible, that more often than not, he is the pastor and the teachers in the church are going to help you, and that you can, in a sense, say, I'm coming to church today to learn from him. 
always in the back of my mind being prepared to say, mm, I don't know, something's not right. Maybe we should go to another church. But most of the time show up being ready to be fed by the Word of God. And that ha- that happens over time. That happens with inspecting a church before you show up, listening to multiple sermons. But once you're there, once you're in that rhythm and you know that pastor, I think you can enjoy his ministry. You don't have to be skeptical forever. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, you know, you don't have to hear a faithful series through the book of right. Romans. And then when your pastor starts First Thessalonians, go, well, we'll, we'll see what he has to say here. <laughs> not if he's been faithful for two years in Romans. Right. And so that's a joy. Well, but then this is the other thing too, right? Is that when you're you're evaluating uh, you're evaluating the the sermons or the teaching historically mm, right. as well. Yeah. This is where I think the biggest gap is in basically every pew across the country is historically what have Christians believed. So you mentioned preaching faithfully through Romans, but there's faithfully according to whom so you're right now we're in this world of just swirling opinions over various points of scripture so you've got the calvinist camp you've got the arminian camp you've got the this camp the the amillennial camp the premillennial camp the postmillennial camp and every single one of them has their staunchly held opinions of how the text of scripture yeah. proves them right and are you sitting there in the pew evaluating your pastor's sermons or maybe even listening on podcast or mm-hmm. you know reading a book or whatever and evaluating the teaching based on how well or how poorly it affirms your opinion and not taking into account that what the church has been arguing about what has been debatable for 2000 years so if you think that your opinion over the end times is, you know, the only opinion that can be everything else is heresy, I'm sorry, you need to read church history and you need to understand that for 2000 years we have been arguing about many things centered around this. Um, if you hold people to, you know, a particular, you know, nuances of your of your own opinion and you, you have not thought about historically where does this fall and has this been has my belief been held for some time I I think you'll be you may be surprised and um, you know I think that's particularly true Um, as an example of this a big one going on in our culture right now is uh, is the rapture and and what is the the nature of the rapture what what do we believe about the rapture and there's many people in our churches that will hold their pastor to account for what they believe about the church being snatched out of here um, at some point in the future. But when they real when and, and when they hear that that was an invention by John Nelson Darby in 1830 or in the 1830s, and that no one before then had ever even heard of that, they seem undeterred by it. Many people do. But yet they want to hold the pastors to account for that is what what is biblical teaching, yeah. and it's just not true. Yeah. That's yeah, it, one that, example. That's really helpful because we, if there's ever anything that we're like, I've never heard this before. No one's ever said this before. If your pastor gets up and says, every commentator I've read entirely disagrees with me, <laughs> but I have figured it out. I w- 
Uh, it doesn't mean that he's wrong, but I would definitely be asking questions. Uh, where in the world did that come from? Why did you just disagree with a thousand years of faithful teaching or more? Um, and again, not to say that you're wrong, but I don't think the I don't think the Bible teaches us to get in a closet by ourselves and interpret Scripture only alone. Uh, wisdom certainly comes from a multiplicity of counsel. So uh, I, I don't think that the, the concept is just me and my Bible. That certainly isn't uh, the, the litmus test for faithful uh, for faithfulness. Although every man must you know consider his own his own conscience. I think it'd be important to for us to consider what what would we tell someone who says I just I, I really think I, I disagree with my pastor or my Sunday school teacher. I think they're unfaithful. Uh, those are two different things. Perhaps you can. Uh, wh- sure. What do I do? Uh, but first, I think there's a, f- a few things I'm just going to rattle off real quick and see if you would add to just kind of give us some practical litmus test. One of them would be: Does this passage connect to Christ? So in Luke chapter 24, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he's explaining to these two disciples that everything from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were written about him. So Jesus makes an interpretation of the whole Bible being about him. So if we're preaching David and Goliath, or if we're preaching Moses and the Red Sea, and it doesn't somehow, some way get to Christ, right? And, and what would be a faithful connection might be a discussion for another day. But if it doesn't bring us to Christ as the hero, as the connection, as the point, of that text, Jesus himself says, you haven't really fully understood the whole point of that, that passage. Anything you would add to that? Yeah. I think as, as, as Matt Chandler once said, <laughs> you're not David. <laughs> yes. That's one of my favorite memes. Yes. I, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I love that. And, and it's absolutely true. If at the end of the David and Goliath story, the congregation ends up playing the role of David and that Goliath is some giant in their life, yeah. uh, it's wrong. That's not the right interpretation of that passage. Um, yes. Jesus, yeah. David, there you go. Yeah, we, not we've expounded you, David. on that too to make sure right. everyone knows we're not even uh, uh, Saul. We're probably not even the Israelites. We're probably the Philistines who are so opposed to God. We're, we are trusting in Goliath, and we need to trust in David, in a sense, who is a foreshadowing of, of Christ. Um, another passage that comes to mind is Second right. Corinthians 4. Paul says, um, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, we renounce underhanded ways. What would be some examples in your mind of underhanded ways or cunning, right? In one sense, cunning is good. Jesus told disciples to be cunning a serpent, innocent as doves. So what do you, what do you think, what is Paul talking about? Underhanded ways, renouncing cunning. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, I mean, for me, the the kind of uh, preaching that would be 
not opening to a text and opening with just a long um, explanation of their own thoughts and then jumping to one verse here, one verse there, one verse here, one verse there uh, for support of what they're saying. You'll find this very common in like a Mm -hmm. Joel Osteen preaching a sermon and, and things like that. To me, that would be pretty underhanded and cunning because you're not giving the congregation yeah. any context for what that verse actually yeah. says and means, nor are you giving, you're just telling them why it matters, but we don't know what it says and what it means first, you know, is, is that really true? So I think that's one way to do it is, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a million other things that, that people do, but um, that that is one that I've actually mm. sat under before, where you know that that you kind of end up leaving going, what just happened? I don't know what that was, but it wasn't a sermon. <laughs> so yeah, and I just think of things like adding adding things to preaching. So um, and anything you can do, and, and I don't want to get into the the media conversation as if you're using technology. It's in the way. That's if you got if you got scripture up on a screen, or if you're but at some point, maybe using video illustrations, and I, I, I rem- I'll never do this again, something like this. I remember early on, I think it was my first year at Millwood, I was doing a sermon on going and missions, Matthew 28. And for, as part of my illustration, I rode my, my brand new road bike. I rode it in from the back of the sanctuary. In, in the service, I rode it down the aisle and picked it up and put it up on the stage with me. <laughs> in the ser- to begin the sermon. And nice. <laughs> I don't even remember what the illustration was myself. I have no idea. I just remember looking back and thinking, what in the world was I doing? Um, so I, I think of things like that where you, where you think the word is not powerful enough alone. I need to be creative. I need to do something else to get people's attention in a way that misses the power of God's Word, which is active and living, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the necessity of the Holy Spirit and the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, so that that's just a personal example that I have in mind. Let's let's move on. <laughs> um, no, I think we should camp out on this. Is there potentially a video no, 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 of no, this we're good. We're good. that we there's could? There's no trust me. There's no video. Can we can we yeah. can we at least link the sermon <laughs> in the show notes? Maybe. I don't even know if it's there. I mean, I don't know. Did the next week? Did you rappel down from the ceiling? Tell me that you were hiding in the rafters <laughs> is, and I've, somebody just rappelled I, you I've down. I've not done this. But I have seen this done. I have. Uh, I have actually heard of that done too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those would be, you know, but you know, honestly, when when we when we look, like, I mean, just I'm struck so often when I read the text of scripture that some of the many of the practices that we have in our churches today are just not that. You yeah. see Paul saying, look, we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement mm-hmm. of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then you look at our churches where we've got smoke machines, we've got video mm-hmm. screens with just these eye-popping images that are constantly going to try to trigger some, I don't know, 
you know, euphoric stimulus in your, in your brain or whatever it's trying to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, everything's got to be cool, presented in a really cool way. And, you know, you got your cafe tables and you're, you know, you're sitting down on a chair instead of standing up behind a pulpit or whatever. And I, I'm not even necessarily saying you have to stand behind a pulpit. At some point that was an introduction to the church yeah. too. So, but, but, but just like the, the need to change is a need to appeal to kind of the cooler, hipper, modern, you know, sensibilities. And, and I, I just end up thinking, I mean, where is the reverence for the word of God? Are we gathered? Are we, are we coming here and gathered just to hear the word of God or not? Yeah. And to be, to be fair, I think some, I do think some brothers and pastors may be doing this out of excitement and out of a good motive and desire, but in by function, ultimately kind of undermine the sufficiency of scripture in a, in a long-term ministry. And it, te- it teaches people to be excited. I remember, I want to say it's, I can't remember who told me, but I want to say it's my buddy Chase who said, you know, if you give someone a sucker this week, a piece of candy, you're going to have to give it to them next week. If you give someone a red wagon this week and tell them let's go have fun, you're going to have to bring the red wagon next week. So if people are coming and they're they're being attracted and taught by those things, then what happens when you take all of those things off and you just preach the word? But at some point, for six months straight, at some point that red wagon is going to need a motor and it's going to need a throttle and it's going to need something a little bit more exciting. Um, right. You know because you're you're not going to be able to bring it's that get better and better. Yes, you're not going to be able to bring that red wagon every week. And yeah. here's here's another one. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I that's it. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's got to keep getting better. Another one, 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, I did not come to you claiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, the Bible is lofty speech and wisdom in, in one sense. Um, what do you think Paul means? Did not come, I came to you, did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Next verse, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Often we think about Spurgeon, we think about some of our favorite pastors as really good preachers. Uh, They really can put the words together well. They really know how to communicate. What's what's the discernment between wrong lofty speech or wisdom and a a good sermon that's understandable and clear and helpful? Tell me what you think about this. What immediately comes to mind with those is... 10 secrets to a better marriage. Like those kinds of the secret knowledge sermons that the pastor has, you need to come and hear these because these is, this is a secret knowledge that you need. Um, go read the titles of sermons from like Spurgeon, from the reformers, from the Puritans, Mm -hmm. from people like that. Even going back for 2,000 years, I mean, you can find catalogs of sermons from various people. John Chrysostom has tons, and John Chrysostom is not even someone that I agree with theologically on everything, but but go read the titles of their sermons, and none of them are 10 Secrets to a Better Marriage. You know, all of them are the supremacy (laughs) of Christ in all things, or you're you're like, I mean, or the Puritans, my goodness, the title is almost as long as most sermons are today. I mean, it's, you know, and, and you're like, well, I don't even know what half those words mean. Um, you know, and so, you know, I, I, I think, um, when you look at the, the, those kinds of 
secret knowledge sermons, it sort of treats it almost like Gnosticism. Um, mm-hmm. Like there is something here that's beyond what the scripture is is teaching. And I'm going to, if, if I just unlock this for you, then all of a sudden your marriage will be better. Um, you know, yeah. it's the, it, I think it's, you know, claiming some sort of wisdom that is not available to you otherwise. And it's a marketing trick, honestly. Right. Here's here's one of my favorite verses, just as a really quick aside in the chapter before. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people catch this, but Paul is saying, you guys weren't the smart people in the world when you got the gospel. Right? You weren't the philosophers. You weren't all college graduates. <laughs> but you guys got the gospel, so so we're good. Um, that's that's really – I feel like he's talking to me. You were not wise according yeah. to worldly standards. <laughs> yeah. That's a well, it's, it's a also a lot like what God says in the Old Testament to Israel. You were not the biggest nation. You were the smallest. You know, I chose you. And, yeah. you know, for my, for my own glory's sake, you know, yeah. I think – it goes along with the same the same kind of way of thinking. Don't think you're too big. Um, you're not. You're not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So here's another one. Paul says when he's leaving the Ephesian church and going away, having foreseen his uh, his call to Jerusalem and his suffering in, in Jerusalem ahead of time, he meets the. I think this is the meeting at Miletus with the elders from Ephesus, and. He tells them his hands are clean with them because he did not withhold from them the whole counsel of God's word. And I think this is a really big one, too, is is this person preaching the word? Well, are they preaching all of the word? Do they preach hard things? Do they preach hard to understand things? Do they preach deep things? Do they preach wrath and hell and sin and election? Do they preach parts of the Bible which are... Um, hard to hear or do they kind of pick and choose their favorites the things that they're most familiar with things that um, that they that they uh, under, understand easily like the best or they think might sound better um, I think that's a that's a big one anything to add to that no I mean that's absolutely true I think this is part of the the thing with expositional preaching that makes it uh, advantageous to going through a book at a time on the whole Mm-hmm. is that you mm-hmm. routinely get into topics that you would not normally cover. I mean, who who really, what pastor wants to preach on divorce? You know, not yeah. not many. And yeah. and I certainly would never do it out of my own just on my own volition, but the text brings it up and so I I have to preach through it, you know. Yeah, and there's been some people might say, you know, if you preach through Scripture, you might not get to address things that you want to. And I've I've taken time off from preaching through books of the Bible to address things that I feel like we ought to address as a church from the pulpit. But I've also seen, for example, years ago, we uh, this is a long time ago, kind of a question of women in ministry came up, women as deacons came up as we were rewriting our bylaws, and I was wanting to address it from a teaching way from the pulpit trying to, to, to humbly enter this conversation that we're in and lead it. And I just happened to be preaching 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And uh, was it 14 or 11? I can't remember which one. But it was uh, it included women in ministry. So it gave me a natural flow by God's providence to talk about something we were already talking about. 
And so I was I was grateful for that. And then awesome. I didn't have to kind of make it an issue. I just preached next week's sermon. Right. And it went right into a conversation we were having uh, as a church. So right. yeah, grateful. And and honestly, if it's it's one of those things like tithing, women in ministry, it, you take any controversial thing, it's very easy to go. I just I'm afraid that if I preach that, it would bring up division, divisiveness, disagreement that we don't need in our church, which one isn't true about God's word. God's word doesn't actually do that. Um, but two, it it could be assumed, you know, the pastor he kind of has, he kind of has a thing. He he really wants to talk about this and make it a bigger deal than it is, because he chose to bring it up this week. He's the one that chooses the schedule, so he wants to go, you know, ride this hobby horse and drill this point in and kind of you know lord the word over us from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And when you preach through the word, you really can't be blamed for that. You just right. say, well, actually, this is just the next passage. Right. So we're gonna address it because. We preach the whole counsel of God's word. Right. So I, w- I would be weary of pastors, teachers who have an adversity to doing that on a principle level. Yeah. Uh, much less and on you, a practice level as well. You honestly find this tons with those two big topics of the end times and and uh, God's sovereignty, whether it be Calvinism or Arminianism. You'll find mm-hmm. frequently that this those become very big hobby horses for pastors that every passage ends up in the end times or every passage ends up in this is why i'm not a calvinist or this is why i am a calvinist and mm-hmm. you know at some point you have to go well maybe not every passage is about those things the fact sometimes it's amazing the fact that you could preach you know from Ezra, you can preach from any passage in the Bible and get to your favorite verse. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's actually pretty incredible. That's it's what we skill, call gymnastogesis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have not, have not heard that one. <laughs> gymnastogesis. That's a Simone Biles level gymnastogesis right there. Wow. Wow. You're I watching mean, your Olympics, are you? Okay. You know, it's an Olympics themed podcast, I think. So Wow. Make sure to make sure to hashtag Olympics. <laughs> so let's just there's there's more I think that we could put together the uh, Act 17 the Bereans, uh, the those noble Jews who test God's word by searching them in Scripture. You want to be careful when pastors teachers say you know I just know in my heart this is what it means. Um, no, that's that's not a pass. Uh, you know, hearing people say, well, God told me I had a dream. And, you know, in, any kind of personal experience that supersedes scripture. Um, and I just think this is oh, this is a podcast for another day. So write it down. The, the importance of the doctrine of revelation, that Ooh. revelation is uh, the, the understanding that God is revealing himself in scripture, that God is not concealing himself in scripture. And if we're really smart, we can figure it out. And if we have some extra special revelation, then God's word will make sense. No, no, no. The word of God is itself revelation to us. That's one thing I'm extremely grateful from hearing hit over and over and over from Dr. Kreider at DTS is the Bible is revelation. I didn't always agree with Dr. Kreider on everything, but for that, I was uh, grateful. And this, that actually, we're both listening to, you mentioned podcasts, we're both listening to a podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is a which yeah. is a really illuminating, just very interesting 
podcast, very alarming, about Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll and the whole thing that went down there and what sort of warning signs were there early on and and things like this. And and one of those that's been hit on several times is the God spoke to me. And you've got this divine revelation who, uh, for, to a pastor, it's being received. How could it possibly be questioned? Yeah. You can't yeah. question the divine revelation that's come to me. And so therefore it yeah. is as inerrant as the scriptures are. And yeah, yeah man, that is super dangerous. Wow. Is it dangerous yeah. and we're coming, we're potentially a blasphemy. Yeah, absolutely. Another one is if you have a pastor church or even just a Sunday school class that is personality driven more than it's word driven, where you have a group of people who just love this preacher. They just love, oh my goodness, I just love this guy's Sunday school class because he is so good and he is so uh, smart and reminds me of um, uh, illustration. Uh, uh, a comment about Charles Spurgeon. I can't remember what pastor was wanting to come here. Uh, this one really famous preacher uh, in in London went to hear him, and then went to hear Charles Spurgeon. And the guy, uh, this other famous preacher, was asked, "What do you think about going to hear that guy?" And he said, "Man, he's an amazing preacher." And he goes to hear Charles Spurgeon. He said, "What do you think about hearing Charles Spurgeon?" He says, "When I heard Charles Spurgeon, I thought, man, what a great savior." Speaking about Christ, I, I forgot the person listening to Spurgeon and I was taken to Christ. So I think that's another alarm bell. Paul kind of mentioned something like that in First Corinthians one through three. You know, you having your favorite people, your favorite teachers, and kind of attracting to them and because they kind of set themselves up, right? If 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 you have a following, you know, if if you're John Piper and people just follow you, then fine. But if the pastor himself is just kind of the authority and um the, the he's the special teacher, then you be really wary of that. Cautious, of that. you know. And it's it, there's such an uh, an entertainment driven epidemic in our culture now that is so has so infected our all of our hearts, not just Christians, but all of our hearts. Right. That yeah. even when Christians go to to a church, they walk out and they want to feel like they do when they walk out of some amazing movie, some movie that just sent them over the edge, just just like, wow, that movie was so amazing. Or that concert that they went to that I've never heard them play like that. Man, did you hear those cover songs? Or did you hear those things that they did? Man, that was just so awesome. And they want to feel like that every time they go to church. They want to walk in, they want to be just blown away by the music. And they want to be brought to tears by the the worship. And then when the sermon comes up, they want it to be so poetic and so just perfect in the way that it's executed and so thought-provoking that when they walk out, they're like, man, that was incredible. But they don't realize that what they're pursuing is actually themselves. They want themselves. They don't want God. And what we're saying is that you can walk into a church where the songs are biblically true. They reiterate sound doctrine to you and and you participate in singing them. That the word that's preached might be from a from a fleshly perspective boring. It might not be entertaining words but that they are biblically true and what we're saying is because it is the word of God that is expounded before you, 
you will grow and be conformed into the image of, of God because he does that through his word. God does that to you through his word in a supernatural way. And so we're not looking for the same things in church and in preaching that we're looking for in movies and in concerts and in TV shows. We're looking for the word of God expounded. And I'm trusting that because the word is expounded before me, that is what's going to conform me. Not some powerful point that really after Sunday lunch has faded away. It's gone. Poof. It's out of there. But the word of God will remain and it will continue to build me up and conform me into the image of Christ. That is what it does. And so what we what we've done, I think, so often is we've we've transferred what we look for in entertainment to the church and we've demanded that be what we receive out of it. And um, and, and it you know, we're disappointed when it's not. And, and and quite frankly, that's just that's sinful on our part. But yeah, the, the, I mean, I think we, with the First Corinthians episode, the the people are obviously following teachers, and I think it's pretty evident if you read through First and Second Corinthians that the church at Corinth thought Paul was a pretty boring teacher. I mean, can you imagine that? Like. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, hey, the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards sat there and put his head down and read his manuscript. Yeah, so. it, it, I mean, and, and I brought that up to the church not that long ago was Jonathan Edwards in Sinners in the Hands. He didn't even finish Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by all accounts. He I got just mentioned that on Sunday. Yeah, he got part of the way through it, and the people were broken into tears and conviction of it's sin. Not, it's not an excuse to be a boring preacher. No, but and and but Jonathan Edwards is doing what he's got. He's he's doing what what the Lord has given to him. He's not he's being, he's being himself. Just yeah. being himself. He's he's up there at the pulpit, and he is preaching the word of God. It's very intellectual because he is very intellectual, you know. Yeah. But go read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and yeah. why don't we why don't we do that as guys, a as a practice just just on sunday let's just let's just all print off sinners in the hands of angry god and so that we don't be accused of plagiarism we just declare that openly hey we're yeah. we're preaching sinners in the hands of an angry god and we just read it in a monotone voice and see if we can make it all the way through it i'm i'm going to i'm going to guarantee you one of two things we're either going to make it through it and you're just going to hear crickets or you won't make it through it and it won't be because people are falling out in repentance of sin <laughs> You know, so, so what's changed? Which, by the way, just as an aside, makes me really thankful for guys like Tony Evans, who who you know preached at the, the SBC, what I thought was a pretty great sermon yeah. in Matthew twenty eight, and uh, he wasn't reading his notes. In fact, I kept thinking, when is he going to look at his notes? How does he do this every every week? Um, here's some rapid fire questions. Let's give short answers for these. I'll ask you. Ad- I'm not good at that, Nathan. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> I am so, not good at lightning rounds. <laughs> you're in you're in your Sunday school class, and you you hear your Sunday school teacher, kind of for a few weeks in a row, making the same point over and over that you feel like it's off from the scripture. What do you do? Ask him about it. Outside the class or in the class? Um, it just I think it really depends on probably practical wisdom, but um. You know, I could see a scenario where it would be handled either way, but I would probably the first thing I would probably do would be to go approach them after class outside of, you know, the public gathering. Okay, you're in a live group, you're in someone's home, eight or ten people. The um, 
uh, your life group leader, your small group leader is saying something that you feel like is uh, questionable, you're in the midst of a discussion about a text or the sermon from the week, what do you do? Uh, I think that's an appropriate time to, you know, voice a, a contrasting opinion and see how it's see how it's taken by the small group leader. Um, yeah. Again, might be a similar deal where afterwards you go to them privately. Yeah, and and the the thing I would add to that is the first thing I would tell people to do is ask questions. Ask yeah. four or five questions first. Where did yeah. you get that? What do you mean by that? It sounds like you're saying yeah. this. Do you mean to say that? Yeah. You know, give them a chance to say, oh, I didn't. What I said. I didn't mean for it to get to that place in your mind. So let me rephrase it. Right. Give them the benefit of the doubt first. I think the difference there, the the difference there between the small group leader and the Sunday school teacher is potentially this small group leader just sure. misspoke. Yep. You know, and you want to give them a chance in front of everybody to clarify what they mean, yep. you know. So let's say you're visiting a church, you're four weeks in, you haven't heard a sermon yet that you feel like is preaching God's word. Keep going, find a new church. You're a member? You're visiting. You're looking for a new church. Oh, visiting and the this you have not heard over five sermons you haven't visiting four weeks in a row. I don't there's not a sermon that really has been the point of the text. He's just kind of using the scripture. Find a different one. You're a member of a church. You've been there for years. You hold your pastor to be a faithful preacher and teacher of God's word. He says something one Sunday that you just think is way off and can't understand how he got there. What do you do? Ask him about it. How would you ask I mean, him about it? Um, one of two ways. Either I would go up to him after the service and say, can I can I ask you a couple of questions just real quick uh, yeah. about this particular thing that you said? Um, yep. Or potentially if it requires much deeper conversation, you know, and the stakes are much higher, the, you know, inerrancy of the scriptures, the incarnation of Christ, the eternality of Christ, things like that, um, the resurrection of the dead, th- those might be, can I set up an appointment to me- come meet with you this week just about this particular topic? I want to, I want to ask, pick your brain about it. Yep. And just to get real particular, anytime you're emailing a pastor or another church member about getting together, I always tell people, if you would just please put it in the email, what you want to talk about, that would be super helpful. Yep. A, it gives me a chance to know um, this is this is going to be good. I'm looking forward to this. And two, it gives me a chance to think about it ahead of time. So if your question is biblical and it's about I'm, – I'm not going to pretend that I can just know everything and recall everything on the spot. So if yeah. I've got a couple of days, whether it's a counseling question, whether it's a question about the Bible, put it in an email. Let me mull over it with you, and we show up. We can We can talk about it. That's really good. By the way, on that, I have actually heard a sermon where John Piper got up to the pulpit and said, I preached this last week. I got a lot of questions about this. Let me clarify. Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be surprised at how, maybe not how often that Mm -hmm. happens, but that 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 will happen. You know, you come to your pastor and you say, this is what you said. Is that what you meant? And if he's able to say, oh, no, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe I either said that or said it that way, or, man, if given a second swing at that ball, I would I would definitely take a different approach. And then the next week comes up and clarifies, you know. Yeah. I would just say, let me just ask, as a pastor, are you excited, afraid, terrified for people to come ask you about your sermons? 
What you, what you both do. and I think how I was going to answer and what I was going to say is I think you would agree when, when people say I want to talk about the word I want to talk about what you said I want to understand scripture better um, or even if it's a dis- disagreement um, that's what we're here for I, yeah, I've yeah. been so astounded by members over the years which has probably been my own fault in my own ministry who write me and say, I'm sorry to bother you, but I have a question about the sermon on Sunday. I'm like, yeah. bother me. Right. I, I need to repent of whatever I've done to make it think, make you think you're bothering me to ask me about yeah. the, the sermon. Uh, right. Whatever it is, I, I want to do that because that's what I'm here for. And I couldn't right. be more excited than to get that email on Tuesday. Right. And, and, you know, I would say just being completely honest, if somebody has a, you know, confrontational you know sort of conversation i mean who who loves that you know who doesn't have a knot in their stomach whenever they're sitting down going oh what did i say what did i you know i mean of course i go through those because i know i need them i know other people need them and what you can pray for is that in the end the resolution is a peaceful one a good one one where there's rejoicing on both both party from both parties you know, and correction on my part if it needs to be corrected or on their part if it needs to be, you know, so, but there are frequently times where I've had conversations where it's like, you said something and I've never thought about that, or you've said, you said something and that really, you know, hit where, you know, things that I'm dealing with or whatever. And there's not a time where that's not an exciting conversation, you know, uh, and, and just a good and usually fruitful one. And, and so I say all that in a half joking way, like we need those and we, we want those, whether we like them or not, however we feel about them or not, you know, we need those kinds of conversations. And they're, I think, very helpful in just getting to the root, you know, uh, of, of the issue. Yeah. Here's an email I got yesterday. I'm going to read this. And this is for preachers, teachers, someone who's discipling someone else uh, who it just doesn't matter if you're handling the word in order to help someone else. Uh, the, there's a temptation week in, week out to just wonder if it's working, to trust the sufficiency of Scripture and the Spirit yourself. And uh, this is an email I got back from a member. I, I preached a I preached a sermon that used the same proportions as Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which is about 30 minutes of why we're all sinful biblically, and then about 10 to 20 minutes on why uh, Christ's righteousness is our joy. And uh, this older member wrote in, Your comments and scripture selections were not exactly what I was eager to hear, but I found them to be what I needed to hear. I don't like to face the truth when it comes to my shortcomings, but thanks for telling the truth to us. Hmm. What an encouragement, right? Yeah. Uh, just to preach the word and uh, keep keep saying what it says. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Have a good week, man. You too. Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. 
Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.